Good morning, man. Welcome. Dude, it's good seeing your face. My name is Pastor Ben. I am, oh, just Ben. Most people call me Ben. I don't know why I'm calling myself by a title, but my name is Ben. And uh, welcome to Luminous Church. If you're a guest with us, we are so excited that you're hanging out with us this morning. We really hope that you enjoy this experience. Hope, hope in the darkness. That's what we're talking about this morning. Hope in the darkness. If you have your Bibles, Find that small book, that little prophet book that's three chapters called Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter one is where we'll be this morning. And I am excited that we're out of the at the movie series and that we're on to something different. And and we're going to try to um, articulate and ask the Lord to articulate his heart from this book for you this moment. And and I really think that that God can use this book to strengthen you, to encourage you, to help you. How many of you how many of you are going through something or know somebody going through something? All right, some of us don't know anybody. Okay, so that's awesome, right? We we all um, we all are going through stuff. We all have stuff that we go through. We all have um, trials and we all have uh, struggles. We all are going through different moments in life. And 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 I want to tell you about a struggle that I went through some time back. It was actually 2006. 2006, I was a single youth pastor, and it was awesome, man. I got to, I got to work 90, 100 hours a week. I, I, I didn't have to go home to the wifey. There was no kids to play at, play with when I got home. I could, I could do and be whatever I wanted. It was just free spirit, baby. How many of you living that life right now? Just like freedom, do whatever I want, go work out at midnight, hit the gym late at night. It was awesome, man. I loved it. I even felt confident that I could take off my shirt in the gym because no one was there because it was so late. It was amazing, man. Those days, bring back those days. Now I have those moments in the bathroom by myself. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Man, it is amazing. So, so I, I remember 2006, I was hanging out with Lane Oliver quite a bit. He wrote that song, Closer, that we sang this morning. And we officed right next to each other. We would always do crazy things like go down the, the um, stairs at the church office on cardboard and, and, make, and make short videos and, and just, do, just do silly, funny stuff. I mean, you know, you've been there. You've been single once upon a time. And, and uh it was awesome. Well, in 2006, uh, Lane was leading our Christmas Eve service. We had three services there at Mid-Cities, and as he was leading those, we were famished, and we needed to go get grub. It was Christmas Eve. Where do single guys go to get grub on Christmas Eve? Well, we went to the OTB on the border. You know, y'all remember on the border, best chips and salsa? Maybe, wow, man, no on the border in San Antonio. I'm so sorry. It was incredible. It was, it was a delightful experience. We sat there as two single dudes. Everybody else was with their families. Everybody else was doing stuff. We sat there and we enjoyed the chips and salsa. And man, I got the queso and and the chicken fajita oh it's so good it was yummy I mean I felt like I felt like this was the best Christmas Eve meal I ever had in my life it was it was delightful I mean normally I'm eating like some like ham that's been overcooked but no not this time I was I was eating queso and chicken and it was awesome and then I went home I talked to the family I said what up family 
We loved each other. We hugged each other. And then I went to bed. And at the ripe age of 24 years old, I couldn't wait to wake up for Christmas and open the presents. You know, that just never gets old, does it? Maybe it does. I don't know. I just, I loved it. And then, and then something happened. Something happened. I, I, I woke up and I started feeling this rumbling. And it was the kind of rumbling like, oh, no. It's about to get bad. It's about to get bad. I ran to the toilet. I, I, I hugged the toilet. I was throwing up. There goes the chips. There goes the salsa. There goes the queso. There goes the fajita. It was coming out of both ends, if you know what I mean. And you just lost your banana this morning. And, and, uh, and it was just crazy. And I was so sick. And all I wanted to do was die. I just want to die. Like, have you ever been that sick where you just, I just want to die. I'm, I'm so sick. Oh, man, just take me now. There is no worse feeling than this ever. I can't even take a breath. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't even breathe. It was horrible, and, and, and it, was, it was horrific. And, and then, and then I, next morning I was like, oh, it's over. Thank God. Thank God it's over. Thank God the pain and the, the suffering and that moment is gone. And then, and then round two, right? Because food poison always has a round two. And I went back and I wanted to die again. But this time I remembered that I was a Christian. So I said, Jesus, help me. Jesus, take away this pain. I started praying and I started, I started doing all sorts of stuff, playing worship music. You know, just come on, somebody. Just like, I need some help here. I need some help. It was horrific. It was horrible. And, and it, was, it was a very painful experience. And I missed Christmas that, that time. I, I didn't get to open presents. I just sat there on a chair. I was putting what kind of medicine could go in. And, and for days later, I felt nauseous. For days later, I did not want to eat chicken. I did not want to see queso and chips and salsa were not going to enter this palate. I mean, it, it was just a horrible, horrible experience. I told my wife, do not ever make chicken again. Do not make chicken on Christmas Eve. Don't make it on Christmas. Don't make it on Thanksgiving. Don't, don't, don't make it on Valentine's Day. Just don't ruin any holiday that I'm anticipating in my life. Please, no chicken will enter this mouth. It was a horrible experience, and, and I know some of you have had that experience where you've had food poison like that, and, and, and you really came to that moment where you felt like, man, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. This is not good. Now, I will say this. In this series, Hope in the Dark, to be honest with you, I haven't gone through a lot of life experiences where I've gone through a lot of struggle, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering. I've gone through food poisoning for a couple of days. And that's almost been the extent of the pain that I've felt. But I only imagine that in a room this size of about 100 people, in a room this size, the, 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 the truth is, is that some of you are in a season that looks a lot like that except about 10 times worse because, you see, it's not just alleviated in two days or three days from now, but it is a season of, of weeks and months and years. Some of you have been walking in seasons. You've been walking in seasons of suffering. You've been walking in seasons of pain, and, and I am no doubt about it. There are people in this room who are hurting. 
And if you are not hurting yourself, you know somebody who is hurting, somebody who's in pain, somebody who's suffering, somebody who's going through this. In Habakkuk chapter 1, we're reading about a man who penned this letter 2,600 years ago, who penned this statement, and, and, and he, was, he was having a hard time looking at all that was around him. He was seeing injustice. He was seeing wrongdoing. He was seeing people suffer. He was seeing, he was seeing things that should not be in his context of knowing who God is. How many of you know that's true in life? We look at things, we see things, and we ask the question, why? You've ever asked the question, why? Why, God? Why does this happen? Why this pain? Why this suffering? Why these moments? Asking these questions. And if we look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, let's read this. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. How long, God? How long do I have to do this? He, we, we see Habakkuk where he is, he is wrestling with God with life's hardest questions. He leans into God and he, he begins to ask these things. Now, I, I'm going to say this this morning. Usually, I like to preach sermons where we come in, we present a problem, and then we solve the problem at the end of the service and we go home and have a good time and watch football. And then we get disappointed again because we're rooting for the wrong team. All right. I, I love sermons like that, but I'm going to tell you that, that today's sermon will not have a conclusion. Because I'm not going to stand up here so boldly and say, I can solve your hardship right now. I can solve your pain. I can solve your hard questions. I can solve your season. I can solve it in this moment. It won't have a stamp of finality today. It's a journey that we're on, and over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about this journey. Over the next couple of weeks, I think there's going to be some hope presented to us that I think will make us into a, a better people and move to a better place of really seeing it. I, I, I love just zoning out to a TV show and watching Scrubs or The Office, and, and, and they present something, and then I laugh, and then I feel good, and then it's over. What I hate is this is us. Does this ever end? Is there ever a conclusion? Will this ever happen? I, I don't like that. And yet, yet life is a lot like that, isn't it? Life is a lot of questions, a lot of question marks. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love this? And some of you have, have experienced this and you've gone through life like this where, where you lose your job. You pray to God, God, it's your will that I lost his job. You're bringing a better job in the name of Jesus. You get a better job. You get more pay. And then guess what? You're single, and they put you right next to that person who is also single, and you lock eyes, and then you go out, and then you get married, and then happily ever after. I mean, you just want that story. Yeah, it's, it's like that for some of us sometimes. But a lot of times it looks like this. I like my job. I lost my job. 
I'm looking for another job. Can't find another job. Can't pay the bills. File for bankruptcy. Then I feel like a failure. And I just feel inadequate. Now I have to go through retooling and a retraining. And move into something that I may possibly like again. But it's a journey. I feel like sometimes that's how life is. I love my spouse. Man, we're married. It's a perfect wedding, perfect occasion, the perfect songs. They have the perfect kids. It's incredible. And then for some people, spouse comes and says, hey, I'm leaving you. Found somebody else. And you thought life was going this way. And then it hits you. Some of us, you like life. Life's going well. I'm enjoying it. Cancer diagnosis. Life's different. Life's painful. I'm believing God in faith. I'm praying for healing. We're going to make it. We're going to stand. You find yourself defeating cancer. And five years later, cancer comes back. See, life is not a sitcom. Life is not the scrubs or the office. Life is a journey. And a lot of us in life have questions, and we've had questions. We ask God all sorts of questions. And when you go to your friends to seek help, they give you well-meaning answers. God is good. Let go and let God. They start counseling you with the best of their ability and their best very with great intent, and yet, yet you're rattled, and it doesn't seem that easy. Have you ever felt like this doesn't seem that easy when you go through life situations and life starts hitting you in certain ways that it just, it's not as simple as this? And you ask these questions, God, why are you letting this happen? As Habakkuk wrote, why, God, why? Why did this happen? Why am I going through this? Why is my friend doing this? Why do they have to face this again? He asked these questions of why. There's so many why questions. God, I've, I've remained pure. I've remained holy. I've kept my virginity. I've been waiting for the one. And they still haven't come, but God, they over there, they haven't. They haven't done that, and they're married, and they're happy, and they're having a great life. What, what about me, God? Those who, who have been trying for a baby and they've been praying and asking God and, and they just can't conceive. And I've known people and we've gone through moments like this with people and counseling and, and many other. We've seen friends go through this praying and believing and, and they're asking the why question. God, there's so many people having babies and, and they don't even want them. They don't even want them. What about me? I want one. I will steward them. I will love them. I will care for them. I will, I will take care of them. And, and, and they, you begin to ask these questions. Or maybe you've been faithful. Faithful in your prayer. Faithful in your devotion. Faithful in the word. Seeking God. Pressing into God. Hoping for God. Loving God. Knowing who God is. Knowing his character. And yet you still are riddled with anxiety and depression and all these things. And you're asking, why, God? I know you're faithful. I know you're faithful. I'm faithful. Why am I doing this? Or, or maybe, 
Maybe you just see suffering in the world. You see starving babies and you, you see racism and injustice and you see these schools being shot up and, and people being shot all over the place and you, you may even know people that it just doesn't feel safe anymore and you're just asking all these questions. Okay, God, why? Why? Habakkuk 1, 3 through 4. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Habakkuk's problem was, was that he, he was seeing all this around him. You don't seem to really care, and you seem like you aren't doing very much. Feels like this isn't happening. Are, is Habakkuk alone here? Have you ever had these questions? Have you ever wondered these things? Have you ever sought these things out? And I'm going to tell you the Bible does not shy away from these questions or these, these longings. In fact, a third of the Psalms that are written, a third of these songs are from people who are hurting. People are hurting. People are crying out. We read about whole books, Job and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes, where it just, it's just crying out with confusion and, and all these question marks and constantly and consistently asking, why God? I know we've had these questions, and, and I've had these questions too. You see, I, I remember having the mountaintop experience with God. And maybe you remember where, where God really shows up and he, he reveals himself to you. And, and for all of us who are in Christ, we've had a moment like that where it was exceptional, where God really encountered us in a powerful way. And you're on the mountain, and you're really excited, and God's amazing. And then, boom, crisis. Crisis hits and it starts shaking you. For me, it was a junior in high school. I was working this job, this retail position, and it was, it was amazing. You know, I had to make all that paper, you know, the paper for the prom and the paper for the ladies. And, you know, I do all that. I just didn't have that many ladies, so I had a lot of paper. And, and I remember this moment. I was working this retail position, and, and, and Sunday after Sunday, I was working, and I found myself more isolated and isolated. And when you're isolated and removed from the situation, you start asking questions, you start thinking, and you start having these moments and these doubts. And why is all this pain happening? Why are these things happening? You start questioning God, and you start asking God, why? What's going on? And I remember having this moment of doubt where I just, I don't know if you really exist, God. I don't, I don't know if I can really trust you. I don't know if I really believe in you. And I remember crying out and talking to him. And I was driving, and, and it was this one Sunday that I was driving, and my dad pastored to church out in the country, a small country church. It's where I grew up, and I went to this small country church that Sunday. I had been going somewhere else, and I decided to go there this Sunday. I remember getting into the parking lot, and I don't know what I was thinking. I guess I just wanted to cuss God out or something. I wanted to go in that place and just be mad at God. And so I sat on the back row, and, and, and I just looked at the preacher who happened to be my dad, which we talk about daddy issues later, and I was just mad. And I'm sitting there, and then God shows up, and he reveals himself. You know, when he just hits you, it was so overwhelming. I was like, I got to get out of here. I got up in the middle of service, 
before the sermon was done, I got out. I got back in my car. I hit Loop 250 in Midland, Texas. I was on that road. Oh, God. You're real. You're real. You've always been real. I don't know what I've been doing. I don't know why I've been asking this. I don't know. I don't know. And I just right in that moment, I broke down. And I cried to God. And then I found myself swelling with faith and love. And God came in in a powerful way. And all of a sudden, my faith was stronger. And it was larger. And I was walking with God like I haven't been walking with God in a long time. And I just started, I started walking in this way. And, and then college hit. And then a bunch of friends were arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism, and I was so confused. I have no idea what's going on, free will and not free will and, and all this. And, and, and it started messing with my paradigm, and, and this time I leaned into God. I was like, God, I got to figure this out. I got to understand you more. I got to understand what theology means, and I got to press into this. And I started reading the Word and reading what God said. And, and I read this book by Philip Yancey, and he said this, God loves people because of who God is, not because of who we are. God loves people because it's his character to love. It's not because of who we are. And I grew up that I got to earn your love. I got to prove myself. I got to do just right. Oh, man, if I, if I miss the mark, if I, if I fall short of it, then, then I'm not, I won't be merited grace. Then I won't be merited your love. Then, then I'll fall short. And, and when I read this, God loves me just as I am. And my faith began to swell. Begin to swell in a different way that God loves me. He loves me so much that he has gone to the greatest depths to come and rescue Ben Chapman and to put identity in him and say, son, I'm not going to leave you. Daughter, I'm not going to leave you. You are so worth it. And it, it made my faith swell. I feel like life's like that. Maybe if you're in a trial, you're in the low, and then you're on the mountain, and then you're in low, and then you're on the mountain, and you, you keep going like this, and it's the journey of life, and it's where we go. And why would we do that? Because in James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds consider it pure joy because as you press in and embrace God and wrestle with God in these hard questions you begin to grow God begins to grow you up and grow you up into him in a new way so God responds to Habakkuk he always responds to the prophets audibly like this so powerful he says look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed in verse 5. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Whoa, you're going to do something, God. Man, I'm going to put that on my mirror. God's going to do something. I'm going to be utterly amazed. It's going to be incredible. I'm going to start walking around like that. He's going to do it. Well, Mary Brandy. She, she's a Latina, and she loves, she loves Mexican food. That's correct, babe. You love Mexican food, and she kept making me tortillas. Tortillas, tortillas. We go to her mom's tortillas, tortillas, and, and, and eat more, eat more, eat more. Okay, I'll eat, I'll eat. And as I began to eat, I began to swell. You know how it goes. And, and, and I 
kept getting these tortillas and kept eating more and more. And, and, and what I found is, like, tortillas are made out of lard, you know, and, and that's not good for you. And, and six months into this marriage, as we were eating tortillas and cheesy tacos almost every night, like the fried tortilla with the cheese in the middle, and then you put a lot of salt on it, and just, it's like a heart attack waiting to happen. And, and, and I was eating this, and then, and then all of a sudden, one day, stomach pains. Now, now, we could talk about my stomach pains later because apparently that's the theme of today's message. And, and, and I started cradling in the fetal position, and it hurt so badly. It felt like a rock was in my stomach. I was like, I'm dying. I'm dying. I'm dying. I want to die. She takes me to the emergency room. I'm dramatic, by the way. And, and she takes me to the emergency room. I'm like, I'm dying. Do you got test? I'll do something. And morphine, something. Like right now, hook me up to that thing. You know, it takes like two hours to be seen while you're dying in the waiting room. Like, what's up? Can somebody fix that, please? Um, and we're sitting there. And they come in. I do all these tests. And they give me a pill. Here you go. Take this. Yeah. I take that pill. About an hour later, I'm like, oh, man, I'm feeling better. Man, I'm not dying anymore. You know, praying and feeling better, taking a pill. I was like, doctor, what, what was wrong? What, what happened? He goes, you had a really bad heartburn. Really bad heartburn, that's all. He gave me, he gave me like a Prilosec or something like that, a Zantac. And, and I took that thing. I was all better. I was like, oh, my goodness, man. That's all it was was greasy tacos, and I'm not going to die. How many of you would love if life circumstances, if life was just a tablet? If life was just like, oh, you, you just ate too much. In verse 5, oh, man, man, I would not believe. I'll be utterly amazed. I was utterly amazed by this pill. Look what this pill did, man. I'm all better. I am utterly amazed. Look what God's going to do. All this injustice, all these things happening, you're going to be utterly amazed. You're about to be surprised. And then you go to verse 6. And verse 6 is, doesn't sound like we're going to be utterly amazed how we thought we would be. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than even then the evening wolves, their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces form. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. And at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. For they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. I was going to be utterly amazed, God, but now you're bringing more pain. Now there's more affliction. Now life really doesn't seem fair. Now it doesn't seem fair, and, and this is the moment where a committed believer has to embrace God and start wrestling with God and bringing your questions to God because there's been people with the same conditions of mind. They go in with a stomach pain, but it's not heartburn. It's something more major than that. 
It's something that shakes their whole life. And it shakes it for weeks and months and sometimes even years. It starts shaking your circumstance. And what do you do with that? You start asking God questions. Why, God? Why is this happening? In Mark chapter 9, you may remember the man who had a son. And his son would oftentimes have seizures and throw himself in the fire and throw himself in the water and he was constantly in pain constantly in torment and you have this father who has a son and he's watching his son suffer in pain day in and day out constantly suffering constantly having these things and 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 he comes in encounter with Jesus and he says this is what's happening my son's struggling and I do believe I do believe, but help me overcome my disbelief. Help me in the moments when I'm weak. Help me in the moments that I've seen him suffer for so long. Help me in those moments to have belief. Help me. In Habakkuk 112, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Why do you do this? I want to tell you right now that God welcomes your questions. Every question you have, he welcomes it. He wants you to ask it. He wants you to start asking the hard questions, and he wants you to start wrestling with him. Don't, don't just deny your doubts. Oh, I'll just oh, I'll deny it. Denial. Whew. I don't believe that medical report. I don't believe what's happening. I don't believe it. I'm going to deny it. No, don't deny it. Don't take it on as your identity, but don't deny it. Start bringing it to God and wrestle with him. Let your doubts Drive you to God. Craig Rochelle says this in his book, Hope in the Dark, which is what this series is based off. We're going to have next Sunday books available for you in the foyer. Grab that book. But he says this. What if honestly acknowledging your doubts is the first step towards building a deeper faith? What if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if becoming closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him, requires you to bear that which feels unbearable? To hear them through an ominous utterance? To trust him in the moment of doom? To embrace his strength when you're weak with a burden? What if it takes a real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? What if it's going to take a real pain? But, but God, you... He said, you won't give me more than I can bear. He said, ah, you're not going to give me more than I can bear. Like, like, I can't handle it. You won't do that. You, you just won't give me more than I can bear. And is that really what God said? Or did he say in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that I won't give you more than you can be tempted with? Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. 
God's not going to tempt you beyond a measure where there is no escape. Do you realize that Jesus paid the price for you so that you could escape temptation? Do you realize that Jesus gave your mind a way out that anytime the devil comes to try to distract you, try to make you stumble in your mind, tries to make you sin, that Jesus has said, I'm going to give you a way out. That no temptation will overcome you, but I, I, the Lord, will always give you more than you can bear. Because when there's more than you can bear, it will drive you to me. When you have more than you can bear, you're going to be driven to your knees. You're going to be driven to the questions. You're going to be driven to prayer. You're going to be driven to the Lord like you've never been driven before. How many know that's true? Me hugging the toilet when I'm food poisoned. How many know I was driven to the Lord in that moment? I was like, God, I can't even bear this pain. And so I start praying to Jesus. I start pursuing him. How much more for those who've been suffering for three months, six months, six years, 60 years, how much more would you be driven to the Lord? God, I can't do this. I don't have the questions, but you do. You have the questions. You have it all. You have what I need. And so that's what pain does. That's what the questions do. They should drive you to the Lord over and over and over again. We should be driven to the Lord. Embrace God in your questions. Whatever questions you have this morning, I know a lot of us have questions. A lot of us have questions from loved ones who are going through pain. A lot of us have questions because we've been suffering. A lot of us have questions. I'm looking at my friend's Hannah, whose mom has, has cancer. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at her during, during the 930 service. I was like, man, I know you have questions. I was looking at Jill, who's mother is diagnosed with a frontal lobe dementia she has questions she's been wrestling with god and asking god why why this pain why this suffering why do you have to be like this and why my mom why it had to be like this and why me what are you doing with your pain? I would encourage us, church. There's no finality to this message except to wrestle. And you would go to God with your questions. And you would embrace him. And then you know that God's character has always been for you. Will always be for you. That he loves you more than you could ask. More than you could think more than you could imagine. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? You know, for a lot of people who come to church today looking for answers, you close the book on chapter one and you won't come back for chapter two next week or chapter three the week after. Chapter 2 is not going to be much better than today's message. You're going to feel like this. Questions. But at the end of this, there's going to be hope. Hope for you. Hope for your family. Hope for your loved one. Hope. Real. Genuine. Authentic. Hope. May I pray for you? 
Father, I thank you for your church this morning. God, I thank you that, God, even when we don't know the answers or know the timeline, God, maybe I could endure a little more if I just know how much time. No. I don't know if you would. Lord, let us embrace you. Let us run to you. Let us sit at your feet. Let us hold on to you, knowing that you are good, that you've always been good, and your character is good, and you're not going to give up, and you have not forsaken. And when we wrestle with you with the questions, Lord, you speak back. I think you in Habakkuk 1, God, as he asks questions, God, you respond. Maybe not how we like, but, but you're not silent. You're a God who speaks, who moves, who loves, who encourages. You're a God who'll say, keep going. You're a God who'll say, come near. God, would you come near this morning for everyone in this place? In Jesus' name.